Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Ryan Reibold, the president and founder of Infintech. Thanks for joining us today, Ryan. Thank you, Mike. Before we get in deeply into the interview, thought I'd tell our listeners about some of the special programs that are coming up. Tomorrow's show is going to be with Richard Puzo, and we're going to be talking about weather. Sky Eye Weather is his company. He sells weather forecasts, and he's passionate about it. So it should be a really interesting show. We're going to find out how cold the winter is going to be and how many storms we're going to have. Next week, we have Oscar Janicki. He is the one of the partners that owns the Atlantis, a new state-of-the-art rehab center out here in the Eastgate area. A, a real interesting guy. He's got a background, actually, in the film industry. And we have... One additional show that I'll announce, which is going to be a phenomenal show, we're going to talk about men's health. I've got a couple of uh, extremely highly rated physicians here in the Cincinnati marketplace who have agreed to be on the show, and when we pick the date, we're going to tell you who they are. Okay, what's coming up in Sandler? Our cold call camp for the month of November, that will be the last one of the year, is November 20th, that's for people who have to make cold calls, how to get by gatekeepers, how to have great conversations with and build great scripts for the contact, and how to at least five ways to break other people's voicemail. Uh, I always tell people to come with a list of uh, at least 10 people that you'd like to call, talk to, never talk to. During the class, we will actually make cold calls to prospects, and usually we get through to at least 50% of people in the, the last two hours of the class. The ongoing series for foundations. Uh, continues on Wednesday mornings here in Cincinnati. The uh, next run of the Foundation's program will begin in mid-January. And the, I guess the last new event I'll talk about is the last uh, program for 2013 in the Business Builder Series that we're running out at the Clovernook Country Club. That one is going to be called The Secrets of Hiring Winners in Sales. That's going to be Thursday the 5th of December, from 11.30 to 1.15. There is a $25 charge for those people who want to attend, and it will be a great program for company owners and uh, sales managers, sales directors who are stuck with the responsibility of hiring people in sales who will actually succeed, as opposed to those people who look good. Okay. All right, let's tell everyone about you. You started your career, and you got out of UC? Yeah, engineering school. Engineering school. Once upon a time, I was in the engineering school, but it was at City College in New York. Started with Procter & Gamble, good place. Mm-hmm. Then you went out. You must have been an engineering there. 
I was actually in IT after I graduated engineering. I went decided I didn't want to be an engineering an engineer. Um, a great, I guess, uh, result of the cooperative education program. And mm-hmm. so, like every good non-engineer engineer, I went into consulting and then landed in the IT world. Okay, and after the IT world, you went to work for a, a credit card and electronic funds processing division of Fifth Third, which is now called Bathurst, a publicly held company. That's correct. That's correct. I moved oh. over there, and that's when I was introduced to my industry. How long were you with them? I was with them for about two and a half, three years, three years, I believe, and I was in an IT function, understanding the guts of the processing. So mm-hmm. understanding really gained a great appreciation of the technology and how rapidly advancing the technology is. So you found it, Infotech? Yeah, Infotech. Infotech in 2005 with the vision of delivering a smarter approach to the payment processing industry. You're responsible for the overall strategic direction of the company, including new market development. Uh, why don't you tell our, our listeners what you may mean by a vision of delivering a smarter approach? So the payment processing industry is very confusing. If you ask any business owner, even yourself, you know. Wow, this is confusing. <laughs> exactly. Whenever you take a payment, you have no idea who's making money, um, where that money's going. All you know is that you take in a dollar and you pay out five cents or ten cents of that dollar to someone who is processing that transaction. So, you know, the historically the, the industry's been rather confusing deliberately and unfortunately providers in our industry have historically taken advantage of that confusion to take advantage of customers. Mm-hmm. So we started out with our business ten years ago almost, we're in we're in our ninth year now to really add a level of transparency to this industry, to take a smarter approach approach to payment processing, to let customers know exactly what we are paying, what they're paying, who they're paying to. And so what we found is, and, and, our, and our goal with this was that when, when we kind of turn the cards over on the table, that... Playing face-up poker? You're, you're exactly right, that you have a healthier relationship with your customer. When you have that healthier relationship with your customer, you you can help that business better understand the industry. So I see that you pulled out one of our credit card statements, and you can see, you know, exactly there's an area there that says here's who you're, what you're paying to your processor, here's what you're paying to Visa MasterCard, here's what you're paying to the bank who issued those cards. It was it was kind of amazing to me that the one of the bigger other fees was for PCI non-validation fee. Sure. Uh, well, that, that in standard terms would be a buzzword. Most people don't understand what PCI is. Sure. So payment card industry. So recently, Visa MasterCard introduced some standards. All of Visa MasterCard, American Express, and Discover came together, um, put together some standards for the industry to protect cardholders' information. As a result, they set these standards, say every business that accepts cards must be PCI compliant, and there's a validation process to do that. So each business is responsible for going through that validation process, and then you become certified to basically accept cards. Mm. Is that a excruciatingly difficult IT process? No, not at all. I mean, there's a if you go to the if you contact, we have a devoted department just to go through the process of validating. There's a self-assessment questionnaire that a business accept, that, that a business uh, answers and mm-hmm. completes. 
typically one or two pages that says, hey, how do you accept cards today? Where do you store cardholder information? Where is sensitive data accepted? How do you handle that sensitive information? The technology you're using to process these transactions, is it secure? Is it com- does it comply with the standards? Do you tell your clients what the right answers are or the, or the way to change their process to lower their costs? Well, ultimately, we hold some of the responsibility and the risk if a breach does happen. So <laughs> it behooves us none to basically give false answer, false guidance, because really at the end of the day... No, I mean, you tell people the right thing to do. Right, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, we try to steer our customers to say, answer the questions. They're not going to shut you down if you answer the wrong, if you provide the wrong answer. What they will do is they'll provide you suggestions on how to fix it mm-hmm. so that you are protected. And then once you do comply, you get $50,000 indemnification coverage should any type of uh, co- uh, data compromise happen. Mm, that's, so That's pretty good. Yeah, so it's worth it. Now, uh, the way you guys handle credit card transactions, uh, the credit card numbers are held on your uh, cloud-based computer systems for us. Exactly. So we, uh, you know, out, outsource the the hosting of all that information, so that, you know, uh, obviously there's full redundancy there. So you can, you know, should anything happen to the primary data center, it's all backed up, and also you no longer are storing credit card numbers in file cabinets or in um, in binders on your shelves. That that's or, or store, in our computer system. Or in, yeah, or in software packages on your computer system. Yeah, we deleted all those years ago. Good. Uh, as as vendors were able to hold them up in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, your company has been uh, recognized for providing an elevated level of transparency and processing expertise. Transparency means you show up every client, every fee. That's right. We just basically we educate. Uh, we the our go to market strategy is to educate the customer more about our processing industry, educate the customer about, you know, the ways that they can improve how they accept cards Mm -hmm. and expose who makes all the money in a credit card transaction. Unfortunately, it's not Infantech, right? Mm -hmm. We make a very, very small percentage of the overall fee that's charged, approximately only, I'd say, 20, less than, you know, right around 20% of the total fees that you pay go to cover our expenses. The bulk of it goes to pay the card networks or the the actual company that issued that plastic. Mm-hmm. So adding that level of transparency, uh, I think it, it decreases or breaks down some barriers of understanding and communication. The business owner no longer looks at you as taking, you know, three or four percent of their earnings or especially in a highly um, credit card a popular environment like maybe a restaurant or a retailer uh, that has larger transaction sizes, they understand now that you are more the bearer of bad news instead of the person who's you know profiting from that amount. Uh, Ryan, you have agreed to ask answer questions from our listening audience. Mm-hmm. The phone number today is as always six four six five nine five four nine one six, and we'll be screening calls during the commercial breaks. Uh, your company has been, Infantech, has been awarded the 2011 Torch Award uh, for uh, from the Better Business Bureau, and you received a private business award from the Gehring Center. That's correct. Family-owned businesses. Uh, is your your company a family-owned business? 
Now the you know the Gehring Center used it was originally founded as a um, as a um, incubator and a support network for family-owned businesses. They've since, in the past past few years, uh, expanded their services to privately-owned businesses, recognizing that family and private-owned businesses struggle from common concerns or common um, growing pains, if you will. And so uh, that that is an annual award that we're very, very uh, proud of. And, you know, last year we were, we were uh, awarded the private business of the year and a finalist, of course, for the Better Business Bureau Torch Awards. Well, we worked with and helped several people who We're, graduated from the Gehring Center. The Gehring Center, great. The, uh, grow their businesses. Uh, your, in your business, you, you've created a couple of specialties. Uh, one was in the religious community through a product you called Pledge, Pledge Connect. Connect. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Well, as you know, when you know, being a sales trainer, that any uh, business, in order for a business to survive, really, is to figure out what they're good at and and figure out niches in the market that they can capitalize on. One of the areas that we saw as emerging area of the market was um, religious payments or, or donations. This was back in you know when PayPal wasn't even doing transaction processing for for nonprofits, and so we created a product that parishes could use or um, it was actually targeted for nonprofits as like a donate online or donate now button on their website. Mm-hmm. What happened is uh, like any good product, you, you start with a, you know, thinking that it's going to succeed in one area and you build it and they will come. Well, um, we quickly learned that, you know, when a nonprofit puts a donate now button on their website, it's not necessarily going to result in a bunch of donations. And so we make money off of transactions and, you know, in order for us to, in order for us to justify the investment, the heavy investment in the technology, we needed to find a market that had existing donations, but not necessarily donations electronically. So we created a product called Pledge Connect, and uh, the religious market was ripe for it. You know, it's a, a place where most donations are made either through a check weekly. How often do you write a check? You know, and who do those checks go to? Um, for us in my family, you know, being a younger family, it was to daycare mm-hmm. and it was to our parish. And so, you know, we were ideal candidates and that next generation of giver really wants to, you know, you have it come out of their bank account or have it come out of their, um, off of their debit card. So we created a platform that integrated through the parish's donation software. And as a result over, you know, five, five, six years, we got, I think, four or five hundred parishes across the United States signed up on the program and it it was great for them because they increased contributions by about 70%. Sounds like it's a rather unique program. Yeah, yeah. I mean well when you can increase someone's giving to your to your organization by 70% by putting them on a recurring contribution plan, then you know it's a benefit to everyone at really minimal cost. Good. We're going to be uh back after a, a word about Tip Club which is the organization that we sponsor here in Cincinnati. And uh, if you have questions for Jimmy, uh, I'm sorry, for Ryan, now is a good time to call in. Uh, we're going to listen to Jimmy Fox talk about Tip Club. Hi. I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. 
Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth and Ryan Reibold. The Before we jump into it, the next Tip Club event is in December. It'll be Thursday, December 19th from 7.30 in the morning to 9 a.m. Okay. So before the break, we were talking about your Pledge Connect product. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell us about the special services that you're offering for Chambers of Commerce all over the America? Yeah, sure. So, you know, kind of take uh, drawing a parallel to the the Pledge Connect model is you find in that niche in the nonprofit world. Uh, we've since uh, actually that that division of our company has been acquired. It was acquired by a company called um, Liturgical Publications out of uh, out of um, Milwaukee, and they're the largest bulletin producer in in the United States. And they have a product called WeShare. So it's exciting that. You know, we can you know transition those the, that our customers to that platform because it's a great feature-rich platform. We still retain the processing, which we're really good at. Okay. Um, so it's a win-win for everyone that we still retain the processing, but the technology advancements that they were able to deliver was something our customers were asking for for years. So it's a it's a really a, a great partnership. Now uh, you asked about um, Your the arrangements with chambers. chambers of commerce. Right. Yeah, shortly after we started, I, I was involved at the Cincinnati Chamber, and we uh, talked about putting together almost a, a model where we could put together, where we could leverage the buying power of a large organization like a co-op, and with that cooperative buying power, how can we drive down the cost for everyone, even the smallest acceptors of credit cards? We uh, tested a program with Cincinnati in 2007, I believe it was. And it was extremely successful. And it caught the attention of other chambers across the United States. Cincinnati is one of the largest chambers in the United States, and it's based right here in Cincinnati. The reason it's as large as it is is because of the the member benefit programs they offer through Shakely and Workers' Comp and these other products. It's That's what ties members to the chamber in many cases is cost-benefit, the cost-benefit analysis. 
So we replicated that model and went out to market with chambers. Now we have over 200 chambers and associations across the United States that market us. That can be as small as like Bardstown, Kentucky, but large as Philadelphia, Pennsylvania markets us. That's a big market. Yeah, very, very big market. And um, and it's uh, been extremely successful for us in terms of providing instant credibility and instant presence into a market that doesn't know or how to say infantech, right? right. Um, you know, so it's really you know a great great growth model for us. Since you brought that up, why don't you explain to our audience how you came up with the name? Well, we tried to cobble together three words into one and make it as difficult as possible to say, and we came up with infantech. So it was, uh, uh, it's a combination of innovative financial technologies, which really are reflective of what we do. You know, we take these financial products and, you know, um, we put, put an innovative spin on the way we deliver them and the way we transact. And so Infantech gave birth, and um, it's not the easiest word to say or get accustomed to, but it has a ring. <laughs> uh, it, it does, it does. In, in your, your segment of the marketplace, how many electronic funds tra- transfer companies are there? Well, um, you know, just uh, there, there are thousands that are across the United States. It's a very much commoditized industry. Everyone's fighting for the same business and providing it. And so um, they, just with the processing company that we transact through, uh, we have over six, 700 businesses that do what we do. And, you know, when we're talking on the topic of uh, awards, one of the most um, – one of the proudest moments was last year when we were recognized amongst our peers as the company who these we call them independent sales organizations or ISOs. We were the fastest, the second fastest growing independent sales organization, and came in first place in customer retention. That's pretty good. Now, so if you were to win, I, I, asking any business owner, if you were to win two awards from the same organization that complements a business strategy. Must be doing something right. You're exactly right, you know, and it's uh, business growth and retention. It's the recipe for our long-term success. How many business developers or salespeople do you have? We have uh, over... How do we go to market? Right, yeah, how do we go? So so obviously, you know, in order for us to go to market, we, we have to have that distribution model. The distribution model is associations, and it's important for us to partner Obviously, to have the salespeople out there, we now have over 70 people involved in our company. We're headquartered in Cincinnati, up in Sharonville. We have a network of about 40 to 45 uh, active uh, sales agents that are out there representing our products and services across the U.S. Oh, so they're scattered all over the United States. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. How many here in the Cincinnati market? Uh, you know, of, of our employee base, I think we have about 10, 10 representatives here in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So you've spread your, your risk over the entire country. Well, yeah. The the strategy over the past four years has been to provide majority of our growth outside of Cincinnati, not to rely on our local market to drive our growth, but to prove to ourselves that we can replicate this model across the U.S. And so today, you know, majority of the deal new deals we bring on are not from Cincinnati. They're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. We process in 48 states now. Mm-hmm. So in a remote city, say Philadelphia or Los Angeles or Chicago, do you have customer service people there, or does everyone just work over the phone? It's all virtualized. I, um, I'm our, I'm our top salesperson, mm-hmm. and um, everything I sell is from Cincinnati. Everything I sell is over the phone. 
I rarely go and see a customer. We genuinely believe that we can leverage technology, video conferencing, uh, you know, the online web conferencing to uh, provide our value proposition to customers, to educate them, and then also serve them. So, you know, from a customer service perspective, um, what's different about our industry and the way we've grown is the hunter and the farmer are one and the same. So the person who sells the account Mm -hmm. also services the account. They get paid on that account for as long as that account is with us. What that does is it, it decreases the amount of investment that we have to have in customer retention people. And, you're and paying your salespeople to uh, nurture the account. You're exactly right. And what it does is it also it aids in customer retention because when that customer is relying on that you know residual, that customer's income mm-hmm. to pay their mortgage, then they're going to pick up the phone when there's an issue, right? And they're not going to promise the world and, and under-deliver on their promises. So it's really been a mechanism for us to um, have uh, strong integrity in the workplace mm-hmm. and long-term, you know, um, moderate, stable growth. Right. I guess that cuts turnover in your sales team, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Lifetime residuals are not to, hey, not to pass up, right? There was someone in, in your industry who, who we did business with before we brought you guys on as a, a vendor. I think this lady was with uh, three companies in less than two years. Right. And it was just terribly confusing. She could come on, come in with a new deal every, sure. every couple of months. That's right. Uh, terribly interesting. Uh, again, Ryan has agreed to take callers. The number is 646-595-4916. Uh, Ryan, you're, you're doing a lot of give-back work in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take a second and, and, and talk about that. Uh, what organizations are you a part of? Well, I actively serve, and, and I'm blessed first, to have the ability to balance um, work and my my corporate and civic responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have two business partners, Tom DeBoard and Joff Moyne, who subscribe to the understanding that giving back to the community is equally important to, um, you know, a business's health. Sure. And so we pay our employees to donate their time, you know, to take a day off mm-hmm. and and give back. In fact, tomorrow we're adopting, we're starting to adopt a class with a, a, an elementary class in Bond Hill. And so we, each, each one of our employees has agreed to um, mentor a student in third grade for the coming year to work with that student. And so we're kicking that off tomorrow afternoon. But as it relates to my involvement in the community, I started a nonprofit organization called Give Back Cincinnati back in, 2000, uh, in 2001. And the whole idea was to, you know, do massive random acts of kindness in the community. Mm-hmm. And that organization really opened my eyes to the needs and, you know, of our community and how we can really make an impact. And so today, you know, I serve on a number of boards in, across the community, the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, the Greater Cincinnati Foundation, the University of Cincinnati Foundation, Cincinnati Parks Foundation, and Downtown Cincinnati Incorporated. Uh, so, you know, it's really, I'm proud that I have the ability to do that and to contribute my time to the benefit of a nonprofit and to our community. That's good. We've still got to get you down to the Rotary Club. Hey. Uh, Next Tuesday, ne- the, the 26th, 7.30 a.m., the Kenwood Country Club. Yeah. Anyone who's listening wants to show up as well. Show up. 
give me a call at the office, 753-9400, and we'll make a reservation for you. Uh, in, in looking at the whole marketplace, what is the unique marketplace advantage that you bring that makes you stand out? Sure, sure. You know, I've already highlighted a few things, you know, in terms of how we compensate our reps and, you know, the customer retention. But really, at the end of the day, it's being able to stand behind promises made to customers. It's important that we, you know, as we uh, approach the market that, you know, we leverage, you know, the size of our company as well in, in being nimble. You know, we can come to market with new technologies, whether it's a mobile application or, developing a system for municipal court to take ticket payments online. The benefit of us as a small company, we can be nimble, we can go to market with products that larger companies that, you know, move a lot slower can't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you if you uh, couple that with our pricing actions and the, the, the way that we have our, our pricing strategy, that we're not we're we're a privately held company, you know. So if we sl if we grow slower one month, the only person that we have to blame is ourselves. So we're not under the influences of the public market, and so we don't have the pressures from anyone to say, "Hey, listen, you know, bump a rate here, bump a rate there, add a rate a fee here to hit earnings numbers." So us being a privately held company. We say, hey, listen, you know, our job is to basically grow slow and stable. It's, uh, you know, we kind of joke with this saying, it's a get-rich-slow plan. And, you know, and so we've, and for 10 years now, we've been <laughs> executing on the slow part. But um, it's... But growing. Yeah, but growing. Absolutely. 20, 25% year over year. Good. We're going to take a short commercial break now, and we'll listen to a couple of Sandler commercials. This is Mike Roth. Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits, and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. 
This is Mike Roth and Ryan Ribo. Ryan, in the uh, in, in the immediate future, meaning next year or two, what do you see as the opportunities and possibilities in your industry? Because I know technology keeps changing. Yeah, it's extremely uh, dynamic industry. You know, the the payment processing industry as we evolve into a cashless society. You know, we're we're viewing it every every opportunity. Um, where there's a check being still being transacted as an emerging opportunity, an emerging market for us. Um, you're seeing new players come out there. You're seeing people in farm markets that are taking transactions through their phone using Square. You're, you're, we're seeing. I was at. You said foreign markets. Farm markets. Farm markets. Yes, sure. Farm, farm markets, like a Finley market or something like that. You know, people are selling celery and selling you know, honey out of the back of their car, but still being able to take credit card. Oh, yeah. You we, know, we actually use that for the Mercedes-Benz Club. Yeah, exactly. At an event, if someone wants to pay, run their card through Square. Right. Three, five years ago, you've never heard of that. You know, Absolutely people are, you, but I could take that payment from you, Mike. If you owe me money from some, you know, from whatever we you might have bought from me, you know, this can be peer-to-peer payment. So it doesn't have to be a business to a consumer, a business-to-business transaction. So, um, you know, eventually with these uh, virtual wallets, too, with your cell phone storing all of this cardholder information and using the technology within the cell phone uh, in your pocket to open, you know, or to to uh, pay for a soda out of a soda machine or to wave it in front of, you know, the gas station to say, hey, all of the information is right here in my phone. I'll pay for it. The the amount of investment that's going into the technology. Does that mean the phone is going to substitute your wallet credit card for your wallet completely? People don't want to carry a wallet. You know, would you would you like to walk around without a wallet in your back pocket? I mean, your back would probably like it, right? My back would probably <laughs> like it, but uh, there are still some cards that I have to carry. Well, yeah. I have to carry my driver's license. I have. I Maybe think, not for long, right? I don't know. I uh, don't plan on giving up my driver's license, so I'm not going to carry it. <laughs> and I feel uncomfortable about just leaving it in the car I drive every day. Sure. You know, and... and Today's a great example because I'm not driving my everyday car today. I'm driving a different car. Sure. Uh, you know, credit cards. Uh, I have a, a nice assortment of credit cards. Mm-hmm. You know, if I walk into a, a Marriott hotel uh, like I did last week, uh, I'm going to use this particular card for Marriott for, for points reasons. Or uh, if I'm going to go on a, a Delta Airline flight, I'm not going to use the same card I used at the hotel. I'm going to use a Different clocks, I guess. American point. Express or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, so, but but the people who are developing the, and pushing the market mm-hmm. understand that. And they're developing technologies in the ways that you transact those payments to address that. You can have a virtual wallet and you can have multiple cards in there and you can choose which card you're going to use. Relatively speaking, you know, I'm, just, I'm a technology guy. Sure. I feel the cards are relatively secure in my wallet. Okay, if my phone uh, was the payment vehicle, vehicle, and I passed by a Coca-Cola machine and it dispensed a Coke that I didn't want, uh, how do I deal with that? I might not even know if it I it was dispensed. Uh, well, obviously, there's going to be you know action taken on your part. You know, it might be in the form of a pin 
or it might be in the form of some authorization that you provide that device to transact. You know, again, it's an emerging technology, but, you know, it, it's one that is really, it's coming. There's a lot of investment in this. Mm-hmm. Some of the in the owner of Twitter, I believe, has invested a significant amount of money into this whole virtual wallet and virtualization of these payments. Um, you really, you really trust your cell phone? I do. Do I subscribe to all of these no, technologies? No, no. For one, I, 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 I really don't trust my cell phone for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like a lot of people, have been known to drop and shatter a cell phone. Sure, I have been known to lose a cell phone for a day, even if it's in my own car, when it falls out of a pocket. And you feel kind of naked when you lose your cell phone, but there's no real tremendous monetary issue. Right. So put yourself in, put yourself in the, the shoes of a business owner that just started taking credit cards 20, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. and they were forced to basically take a piece of plastic out of your back pocket. Mm-hmm. Put it down on a knuckle buster, make an imprinter of it. Oh yeah, and then buster. but yeah, and then write down. Those in the other room. <laughs> is it a doorstop? No, it's a, it's a paperweight in the, in the desk. Oh, paperweight, nice. So yeah, and and then they would have to say, okay, Mr. Roth, take that bicycle. You're good to go. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a business owner that let a product leave their store in the faith that your credit card is going to transact that amount. And be good. That was good, right? Right. That was 20, 20 25 years, years ago, right. right? Right. That was the way so, it worked. Well, now we're in a technology phase that and they looked up the credit card number in a little book to see if it was a stolen card. If it, you're exactly right. Yeah, it was fraud ridden, and so what they're trying to do is just take that technology to the next level. To say, you know, why have a wallet full of different cards? Why not have that? Why not just carry one device around and pay? You know, using that device. They're challenging the system. They're challenging the process. And I commend them for that because, you know... Well, it's a thought process. Right. Uh, I have a lot of clients, and they have more than one device. I've noticed that my clients, they're Apple-centric. They'll have an Apple iPhone, but they'll also have in that folio that you're holding an iPad. Right. Even an Android mm-hmm. uh, pad and an Android phone. Uh, does that mean that Credit cards in the future are going to be processed through those portable devices as well. Both, Have, both types. Absolutely, a lot of our customers, a lot of our customers, uh, um, all of our gateways are capable now of transacting through a phone. So if someone signs up for a virtual terminal and they want to process transactions through their, you know, MacBook or through their Dell computer, they can also download an app and plug in a card reader and take that same transaction on that, you know, take that device on the road. So when you're a plumber and you want to go out there and get a payment, mm-hmm. you know, instead of waiting for an invoice, waiting for that check to come that never comes, and you know, maybe it comes, it turns into a collection situation, you take the point of, same at the point of payment at the point of sale, and then you get paid in 24 hours for your services. It's great from a cash flow perspective. It's great from a security perspective. Mm-hmm. And so that's where... It's heading. That's where our industry is heading. You know, another area that's really interesting about the emerging market is payments that accounts payable departments are making. If you think about where checks are also being paid is when you're going out there to pay your suppliers, all of your suppliers, every single month, you write out checks to all these different individuals 
They send me a bill. And exactly. I send them a check. The fastest, you know, the fastest growing segment of our mark of our industry mm-hmm. and our company and where we're really diversifying ourselves isn't on the accepting of cards. It's on the paying people with a card. So we'll work with an accounts payable department to convert as many of those check payments over to some form of an electric pay- electronic payment, either through ACH or through a virtual MasterCard. What's nice is the supplier gets Some paid people, faster. Some people, Ryan, don't know what a virtual MasterCard is. Well, that's just a one-time use MasterCard. That, so, so basically, if I were, let's say that I, I were um, Roth and Associates, yeah, right? Yeah, I wanted to pay my, my and rent. You, you want to pay your rent. Mm-hmm. And you basically say, well, and Mr. I don't want my, my, my landlord to have electronic funds transferred to draw my money exactly. out of my checking You want to account. say, I'm either going to pay you through a check. So every check that you produce typically costs you about $3 um, is the average cost to pay a check. Mm-hmm. You can say, listen, I prefer to pay you using a virtual MasterCard. So you, so you basically say, here's a MasterCard number that can be used to pay my rent. It can't be used for anything else. It can only be used for this amount when I say you want it, when I say you can use it, only one time a month. Only one time a month. So you have complete control over your payments. It cuts down on fraud, so that if an employee here at the management company might obtain your card, they can't run it at a different merchant account or mer- business location. Right. It's oh, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, and as a result, you as the business, you know, might benefits by rewards. You know, in a point, you know, in the form of a re- rebate mm-hmm. for any transaction that you run through that network. Yeah, we we switched to uh, Capital One a few years ago. Did you? Yeah, for uh, because they give you a better points program, right? Points. Well, I, I love the va- the vandals. <laughs> yeah, about Visigoths <laughs> on TV. I thought they were terribly funny. Uh, again, yeah, this would be your last chance to call in if you have questions for Ryan. It's six four six five nine five. Four nine one six, and we're going to listen to San Larule number nineteen. Hi, I'm George Donovan with Sandler Training. I'm here to talk to you about Rule Number Nineteen: Never help the prospect end the interview. We've all been on sales calls where it's been uncomfortable and the prospect's acting uninterested or maybe even a little bit hostile. Your inclination is to close your portfolio, get up and walk out, but don't. This rule calls for you to hang in there. Ask the question that gets the issue on the table. Chances are it's not you. Maybe it's your company's past performance that's the problem or perhaps another company that sells similar products or services. Or maybe it's another salesperson that has nothing to do with you or your company, but you'll never know unless you ask. So it sounds something like this. Let's suppose your prospect's name was Bill. You'd say, Bill, you seem a little bit skeptical. Is there something that I've said or done that's made you feel this way? And if it is, could we talk about it? Or maybe you say, Bill, I sense that there's a problem. Would it be okay if we talked about that for a minute? So the important part is that you ask. It takes the pressure off of you, and it helps the prospect work through the issue so you can get by it and get back to the interview. 
So the next time you're on an uncomfortable sales call, don't bail. Hang in there and remember rule number 19. Never help the prospect in the interview. Okay, this is Mike Roth and Ryan Reibold. For the live listeners, I'm sorry for the short delay there. Ryan, uh, perhaps you can give our listeners, our CEOs or company presidents like yourself, a leadership tip. A leadership tip? Mm-hmm. I guess I'm not really... How many people do you have in your company? Uh, approximately 70, 75 70. Uh, people. And, that, and you've been there for nine years. Yeah, you know, we... You must have learned something about being a Oh, yeah. I think what I learned from my leadership experiences, and again, I have to preface preface this with I'm I'm not a uh, trained leader. You know, I've learned, you know, from my mistakes and my experiences. You're an on-the-job leader. Exactly. You know, and I grew up working on a farm, and I, I reflected on this recently, what I was attracted to from good leaders that I've been around. And the farmer that I worked for years ago was a good leader. And the reason he was a good leader, um, and I worked on that farm for eight years, you know, making two fifty an hour, you know, and working 12, 13 hours a day. Um, and the reason he was a good leader is he was there by our side and was, you know, even the dirtiest jobs were he was never above taking on the worst tasks. And that, in my mind, is a definition of a servant leader, one who basically will get in the trenches with their employees and and leads from among, not above. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that I genuinely try to practice with our own organization and especially with our, you know, our newer employees, you know, making sure that they understand that I'm out there, that I can empathize with what they do every single day and how tough this industry can be. And when they understand that, you know, there's a leader the the co- person who's kind of leading the company is right there by them side and their side feeling their pain and struggles then they i think gain a bit more respect the um i think they perform better uh, yeah i absolutely i think that they can they they see themselves you know alongside you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a, a big theory in in japanese management of japanese larger companies that you, you never have a plant larger than 350 employees unless you're absolutely forced to. Right. You get better production out of smaller plants. And you don't wear any type of hierarchical mm-hmm. identification. Everyone wears the same white coat. Everyone's an associate. And everyone, exactly. And so as a result, you treat everyone with the same dignity and the same respect, regardless of what their role or responsibility is in the organization. Good. And... I always like to ask this question of our leaders. We have a theory of operation here at Sandler that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you're going to solve a complex problem, you have to come up with an equally complex solution to nail the problem down. Have you come up with any complex problems with complex solutions over there? Uh, Yep. Balancing all of the different tasks on, on a daily basis, obviously, is one complex problem, but probably not one that we have time left to to tackle here. I would, but I would say, you know, as I you know reflect on this a minute, um, you know, one of the most complex problems we've had is how to 
figure out uh, what I was. Con- I've always been convinced, and I and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Is that not necessarily the the best salespeople aren't necessarily the best cold callers, and so we really um, what I struggled with along you know in, in figuring that out is how do I scale my business up with keeping people in key roles so that a good salesperson who can really close deals and get out there and service those deals has their day full, not with prospecting new deals. And so we invested heavily into an internal call center that basically opens the doors for our customers. Mm-hmm. It's evaluating the, you know, how you how you conquer this issue has always been that struggle is how many more people, how many lead gen people do you need to support the outcome that you're desiring depends on how good the lead gen people are and the and the sales rep and so it's a very complex balance of resource allocation um making sure you're finding the right people making sure that you're in there trying to um you know align you know roles with the people who, who might be there for a long time uh, and so that's one of the complex issues we've always we've dealt with and we continue to deal with. In fact, we're now testing outsourced, you know, lead generation companies that, you know, that we can. It's an interesting problem. It, it is. Okay if I tell you a story. Yeah. I, I won't use the, the client's name, but we've, we've been working with one client for about three years in exactly the same problem, wanting to make outside sales reps terribly efficient, uh, if you would, estimators and closers. We've created a, an inside sales team here in the Cincinnati market, as well as a few people that are uh, remote. This voice over IP, we can put a remote uh, sale telemarketer, Chicago or New York, LA, any place. Uh, and what we've discovered is that the profile of the successful person in each of those two jobs, outside sales, uh, we, we call the business that you're in a commodity sale business, Okay, relatively short sales cycle. Uh, people know what it is before they buy it. Uh, there's no demand creation component. And each transaction, relatively speaking, is a small transaction, as opposed to someone of sells Cisco systems, where the minimum transaction is a million dollars. The average selling cycle is 36 months. And at the beginning of the selling cycle, the customer has no idea what he's going to buy, and the salesperson has no idea what he's going to sell. And we, we created a custom profile for the inside telemarketer, the outbound person who sets up the meeting, finds the, the key contact, and then in the second telephone, key contact on the phone, and sets up a meeting for the outside salesperson, which allowed us to pick outside salespeople who have better skills at taking action, closing, bonding and rapport, uh, have high drive and ambition, okay, and uh, have exceptionally high control and close. Uh, and we found a, uh, some, some interesting correlations. It, it's identifying the talent pool who is willing to do that job. Yes, you know, day and it, it takes a certain personality well, too. It, well, it's personality, but it, it's also a skill set. It's a trained skill set. Examiner works long-term positive reinforcement training. Uh, I think this week we're going to do week 92 of the program for the telemarketers Friday Friday morning from 10 to 12, we were actually going to debrief these telemarketers on their good calls and their bad calls. 
everyone's happy to play back a good call. To learn from the bad uh, follows the Einstein rule. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So we're going, we've defined what a good input should be, and everyone's aware of it. Absolutely. And we've built the scripts, uh, customized for their industry, uh, so that a new telemarketer hired today can be productive if they can read English. Absolutely. And, and practice. They won't be as productive today as they will be three weeks from today when they practiced all the lines and they got used to saying the words in the right order. It's, it's a, uh, a set of critical skills. The outside salespeople need a different skill set. Uh, yeah, but, but you also don't, especially in what you define as a commodity sale um, environment, which, mm-hmm. which we are, you also don't want to breed a level of complacency from your sales rep where they expect to not have to prospect. Uh, and so it's, that's the complexity where it falls is that when someone, you're so de- your success is so dependent on a lead generation, well, a I, workforce, instead of catering this understanding that the outside folks are equally <laughs> responsible for their paving their own success. Well, I think there are differences in human beings, and there's differences in marketplaces. Uh, whether the mar- difference is the difference between the Columbus, Ohio marketplace and the Cincinnati marketplace, there's just a psychological difference inherent in the marketplace. And there's a difference between Cincinnati and, and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has three rivers and about the same number of people that we do, but they're all in the same county, Allegheny County. It's all Pittsburgh. There, the, Here we have... 300 bergs separated by a river that's 350 miles wide psychologically. So the sales rep has to have a certain level of intelligence, critical thinking, that that is higher on average than the telemarketer. Now, the telemarketer that rates down at the bottom of the critical thinking scales frankly shouldn't be higher. They might be nice people, but they're they're not going to be fast enough to roll with the punches. In fact, an outside salesperson gets a little bit more time to roll with the punches because they're face-to-face with people. Now, a good outside salesperson can do prospecting, can do cold calling, and any number of the 26 prospecting activities it takes to be successful. In fact, in our client, we have uh, a different commission scale, uh, a, in a sale that is consummated based on a telemarketing lead, or an appointment that was set up, I should say meeting, we don't set appointments, is paid lower commission than one where the sales rep develops his own. So the sales reps, the outside guys and ladies, are incented to find another lead. Right. Uh, Yeah, that's very smart. I mean, and that's exactly what it is. If you continue to feed the engine, Right, it's it's uh, very much a reciprocal relationship between the outside and the inside person. That's the only way to make it work. Right, it, and I, I'm just thinking of an incident we had uh, a few months ago up in Columbus. A sales lady was sent out to uh, run a sales call on a veterinarian's office, and it bombed. It didn't work out. And she looks across the street. She sees the dentist's office, and so she goes across the street, walks into the dentist's office, and found out that this dentist office was one of a chain of 17 dental offices. Right. And she wound up selling all 17 nice. dental offices. So she picked up the high commission rate because she generated the lead, but she never would have been in that neighborhood to find a dental office. And she not run the, the sales call. The, for the veterinarian. And 
uh, and frankly, it's my belief that you have your uh, lead generation department inside, you actually get control over it. Uh, I think all of us as business owners have gotten calls from the Filipino uh, offshore telemarketing rooms uh, that sound wrong, and they won't get the, the, the real veto, the real decision maker on the phone, and they won't buy. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, that's something that we've subscribed to is that it's better to control. You're going to control the message better. You're going to control your brand together if you invest in those uh, resources inside. And so have you invested in recording all of your calls? We have not. That's a good it's a good investment. I always recommend it. In fact, we we've rigged it so we record both inbound and outbound, because when, when we leave a voicemail message using the Sandler methodology, someplace between 70 and 80% of those voicemail messages are returned within the next eight business hours. And so you need to have a, a counter script ready for then that we, person we, calls back. We exactly. One of our reps, you know, one of our best internal uh, uh, lead generation people, they they have it calculated down. You know, most of their, call, most of their leads that they generate are inbound mm-hmm. because they do an effective job leaving the message to the, the right person. Right. And it's not leaving the message to, you know, whoever picks up the phone. It's identifying who their target is within that organization, navigating the the structure of the organization, getting the right person on the phone via live voice or voicemail, and leaving the right message. And on top of that, it's having the right voicemail message on her inbound voicemail so that they don't say, oh, I know who this is. No, no, and, there's, a, there's an overflow yeah. condition that sets up in, in most businesses. It's between, say, 4.15 and 6 p.m. when CEOs or company owners decide to Return run down all the, all the calls and, and leave a message, hoping that you won't be there to take it. So right. uh, we have a special outbound message which goes on the one telephone number that they leave to return. It could be the outside salespeople. It's their cell phone number. And what and what uh, what course is this with Chandler? With Sandler, Chandler, I mean, sorry. That's in our uh, cold, cold call calling. Camp. The cold call camp is the first place, and uh, there you go. Every week we do uh, the Sandler appointment getter classes. Is what it's called. So we wrap this uh, interview up with you doing a promo of an upcoming program. How about that? <laughs> there we go. Thanks just... again for uh, coming in to to do the show, Ryan. I'm sure people. Got a lot out of it. Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9402.